everyone. This is Holland. And this is Kristen. We're both women, we're both preachers, and we're both scholars. And so we created the Preach Her Stories podcast to celebrate women preachers. On this podcast, we interview amazing women preachers from today and highlight groundbreaking women preachers from the past. Everyone is welcome here. And we encourage all of our listeners to consider how a richer understanding of women preachers' experiences benefits us all. So grab some tea, curl up in a snuggly blanket, and join the conversation. Hey, Kristen, may I tell you a story? Yes, please. I would love to hear it. So in 17th century England, a woman named Margaret Fell was working really hard to change the trajectory of women in Christianity. Margaret was a woman of means. I think today we'd call her like upper middle class. But at the time, she was married to Thomas Fell, who was a judge. And I'm not entirely sure what exactly this means, but he, like he was a member of the landed gentry in England, which is pretty important, I guess, and worked as the vice chancellor for the duchy. I think I'm saying it right. Like where the, where the Duke was in charge, like he worked for the duchy of Lancashire. So she was a woman of means. That's, that's the, the takeaway there. Got it. Okay. And in Margaret's time, Protestant Christianity was really taking off on Europe, in Europe, and she was on board. So for any armchair historians who are listening, you might remember that Mar- Martin Luther had famously kicked off the Protestant Reformation in 1517. And so when Margaret Fell's coming on the scene here, this is about 100 years after that. Right. Okay. So like the Protestant Reformation is like spreading all over Europe. She is in the thick of it on board. Then in 1652, Margaret met George Fox, who you may know as the founder of the Society of Friends, or what we might today better know as the Quakers. Gotcha. And also namesake of George Fox University. Yes. George Fox University on the West Coast. Yes. So Margaret was really drawn to George Fox's approach to spirituality. And she quickly like got her children and her servants on board and her home. Or I guess we could probably better describe it as like her estate. (laughs) She's a woman of means. Her estate soon became a a really big center for Quaker activity in England. Then in 1658, Margaret's husband, Thomas, died. And so once she was widowed, that's really when her she stepped up her public voice and gained greater prominence and awareness in her in her society as she started to preach and publish on behalf of her faith and in support of women. In 1666, she published what would become her most famous work. It was called Women's Speaking Justified, Proved and Allowed by the Scriptures. I love that title. Isn't that the Man, best title? Talk about she just on the nose. We know right. exactly what that's about. Right. Okay. We know exactly what she's doing here. Yes. So unsurprising then to find out that in this work, she unapologetically argues in favor of women's preaching. She argues for the spirituality of the sexes that, you know, men and women are equal, right? Mm -hmm. She points to powerful women in the Bible as examples of this. And she tackles key verses that are often used to endorse women's subordination to men Mm -hmm. and offers different interpretations of those verses. 
right? So then a few years later, because remember, Margaret's husband had died a while back. A few years after this work on women speaking justified is published, Margaret actually married George Fox. And from the beginning, they committed to an egalitarian marriage, which I'm just sitting here thinking like in 17th century England, that's pretty cool. That's remarkable. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So today, Margaret is sometimes referred to as the mother of Quakerism, I think largely because she was married to George Fox. But she was so significant in the formation of Quakerism that some historians have argued that she really deserves recognition as a major architect of the Quaker faith. Wow. Amazing. I never knew this. I never heard of her before. Right? Yeah. I first read Women Speaking Justified a few years ago, and I got to tell you, it gave me a lot of feels. Really? Yeah. Mm. I was, at the time I read this, I was already ordained. So, you know, I'm already an ordained woman, you know, knee deep into women's preaching and all these things. So then I read Margaret's words and I found in them many of the same arguments and and scriptural interpretations that I've found myself and other women, like my peers, my contemporaries, some of the same things that we've offered in defense of our callings, right? Mm -hmm. As we've worked, worked through ministry. And so it really gave me a lot to kind of pause and reflect on because while I found a lot of solidarity and the fact that I had this woman who walked this path literally centuries before me. Right. I also found myself asking, like, like you just said, like, why didn't I know about her? I never, no, I had no idea. I'd never heard of her. I maybe I'd heard her name, but I didn't know that she was related to Quakerism or was a major architect of the Quaker faith. Yeah. 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 I, I found myself asking like, how, how, how did it take me so long to find her? And then as I thought more about that, I was like, well, why didn't her arguments catch? Hmm. Like, why, why are we today making some of the same arguments that she made? Hmm. Right. And why isn't her story more widely remembered? And then that led me to this much bigger and I think more significant question. What does it cost the church? Like, what, what does the church, what Hmm. consequences does the church face when it, when it doesn't remember her? And when it doesn't remember women's stories more broadly. Yes. Yeah. That is such a profound question. And I know you and I are going to cover stories of many, many women like Margaret Fell, who were ahead of their time, who were asking questions that we're still asking today. And it is sort of mind boggling, Holland, to imagine had her arguments caught Mm-hmm. Had they been listened to, had she really been afforded the sort of influence that the spirit obviously was giving her, where would we be now? Yeah. Where would yeah. we be now? Think of, think of what could be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really the vision for this podcast. Mm-hmm. As we come to these conversations, we're asking these questions. As women of faith, as women vested in preaching, we're asking how far have we come, right? As we look to women like Margaret Fell, you know, speaking to us from the 17th century mm-hmm. and women who spoke to us, you know, centuries before that, <laughs> all throughout <laughs> history, you know, how far have we come? Where are we now? And why don't we know these women's stories? 
And so our goal here really is to elevate their stories. We want women's stories to be heard, to give them a voice from women from then and women from today. And that's really the conversation that started. These are the questions that started this podcast for us. And that's the conversation we want to bring to you, our listeners. It's a conversation that Holland and I have been having individually and together and really begins with our personal stories in ministry, preaching, and our faith. The genesis of this podcast really comes out of Holland, your research and your life experience as an ordained minister, which has shaped your academic focus and research as a PhD student. And then you came to me and you said, I want to share these stories. And, um, and so, yeah, we started this journey together. And I just think it's so important for our listeners to hear your story, Holland, because you are standing on the shoulders of Margaret Fell. You are in that lineage. You are that today. And, and so I think it's so important for us to hear and understand a little bit about your story. Thanks, Kristen. You too are standing in Margaret Fell's legacy. <laughs> but yes, you're right. Uh, I do. I do come to this with a very personal, personal stake in this conversation. I was not raised in a tradition that affirmed women in in leadership in the church. While I was raised in a deeply committed Christian home and Christian tradition, um, we very much. What I saw around me was the, you know, the distinguishing between men and women and the different roles that women were allowed to occupy and the roles that they were not allowed to occupy. And I just kind of accepted that that's the way it was, right? Growing up, that's what I saw. So that's what I knew. And it never really occurred to me to question or challenge that. And then, you know, things changed as I grew, as I, (laughs) and a significant time was for me when I was in college and really started to, first of all, encounter women in the church, women in ministry, women in leadership positions. I started to I was a theology major in college, so I started to really <laughs> dig in and ask some questions. Oh, that's always dangerous. I know it's so dangerous. Theology. <laughs> so, for, to everyone studying theology out there, like we champion you, <laughs> <laughs> and we recognize that questions come up, and you're not alone in those struggles uh, when they do. But I started to then really sense my own calling into ministry and a really specific calling toward ordination. And that was not something that I welcomed. (laughs) It was not a very like easy, like, oh, great. I'm called to get ordained. Like, let's go for that. It was a, oh no, this is going to be tough moment. Now, what, and why, why did that, why was that your reaction? Um, I think for a lot of complicated reasons, like I said, I didn't come from a background where that was not just celebrated, but just not, not part of part of the equation. And so I knew that that meant me joining that would necessitate me joining, uh, you know, a different denomination, right. Mm -hmm. To, to, you know, to leave where I had come from and to join a denomination that affirmed women in ministry that celebrated women in leadership. And I knew that that was going to be difficult. And I knew that that was going to involve some very difficult conversations with some family members and people who are very close to me. 
And those were difficult. (laughs) And those were ongoing for, for many years. But the end result was that I was ordained in 2009. And after that point was really when I started to encounter this history of women preachers, right? Mm-hmm. Clergy women, women preachers that had gone before me. And I was kind of launched into this grieving process that I hadn't seen coming in this weird, unexpected way of this grief over this history that I had not known. Mm. It was as I, you know, continued to hear about all women coming out of different traditions who had been like Margaret Fell, preaching, advocating, you know, advancing the faith centuries before me. I kept, I kept asking, how come I didn't know about these women? Like, how come as I walked through this for myself, I felt like the only one. I felt like I was alone in this journey of trying to figure out, okay, how do I make sense of my own calling when I don't come from a place where this is okay, right? And how do I have these conversations? And what do I offer in response to people who who don't agree? And to recognize that I was not alone in that process. I just didn't know it then. And that has really shaped how my, you know, professional and ministerial and just personal life has come over this last, what, more than a decade now. So Kristen, you also come to these conversations from a background of someone who was raised, you know, in a strong faith tradition, but one that was very different from mine. And I know our listeners would benefit from hearing your story. So I'm wondering if you can tell us how you come to these conversations and how your background shapes has shaped you. Yes. Well, it's so interesting. I've been you know, mulling this over, trying to figure out or understand my relationship to women preachers, women in ministry, myself as a woman who started preaching in the last few years. Because I was raised in a denomination called the Wesleyan denomination that starting all the way back in the late 1800s, affirmed women in ministry. So it's a very interesting and and unique tradition in that I have a heritage of women in ministry. So that's a contrast to, I I think most people have the kind of faith background that you do, Holland, where women were excluded from ministry. And and so what's so interesting is I come from a long line of pastors, educators, missionaries. My great-grandmother, Chloe Meeks, I'm going to say their names. Chloe Meeks was (laughs) an ordained pastor and preacher. She was a powerful preacher. She and my great-grandfather were missionaries to India. And then when they came back from India, they co-pastored together. And as the stories go, great-grandpa Meeks would start the sermons, but great-grandma Meeks would end the sermons because she was fiery. Love it. she could call people to Jesus. Yeah, And she just knew how to really land it and drive it home. And then their oldest daughter is my grandmother, Virginia Wright, who she and my grandpa Wright were also missionaries. They were missionaries to the Philippines where my, my aunts, my aunt, my uncle, and my father lived. My, my dad was a missionary kid to the Philippines till he was 14. So they were there for about 20 years. And during that time, they were professors. They were teachers at a Bible college there in the Philippines, training okay. pastors and ministers. 
And during that time, there was a church, I believe, I may be getting this wrong, it was in Manila, that was in need of a pastor. And so they asked my grandmother, Wright, Virginia Wright, not my grandfather, to come be the pastor, I think, because he was running the Bible school. So she was their pastor, preacher there for I forget how many years. And I grew up with people telling me, your grandmother was is such a powerful preacher. And and so after they retired from the mission field and came back to the States, my grandma and grandpa co-pastored together, grandma and grandpa Wright, and they would preach. Grandma would preach sometimes, grandpa would preach sometimes. And so I grew up with stories being told to me of, you know, hearing about what a wonderful, uh, what an impact my grandmother had had on people. And in her, in her waning years, And in the days leading up to her, you know, where she passed away and she was not doing well physically, she, people started sending in notes and letters and emails to her about what an impact her ministry had had on them, what a powerful preacher she was. And her response to my aunt who would read the letters to her was, why are people saying this? Why are they saying this? I mean, she just never quite understood, I think. Hmm. how much the spirit really used her the holy spirit used her uh, as a preacher and a pastor and a teacher yeah so i grew up with that heritage i come from a long line of communicators educators pastors but that was never something maybe because it was just a given for me that you could be a pastor or a preacher as a woman it just never crossed my mind to want to do that or pursue that i i wanted to pursue writing and and teaching writing and be creative in that way. But all along the way, I think my teaching has been very pastoral. <laughs> so I, I, so, and I, I remember I, I was working with, I was uh, the chief editor of a publication of women writers called, called the Ansley uh, Writers Forum. And my supervisor said to me, Kristen, you're shepherding, you're shepherding these women. And I thought, it's so true. I think in some ways, my approach to teaching writing, to being a teacher, uh, does have a shepherding ministerial aspect to it. It's just sort of woven into who I am. I feel like I'm there to cheer people on and, and coach them and, and help maximize them. And then a few years ago, uh, I was invited by our local church to join the teaching team and I started preaching. Yes, you did. And I did. And I never expected that to happen. Um, but I remember our pastor said to me the first time I preached, he wrote me afterwards and he said, I was sitting and I was listening to you and I was listening to you. This feeling of relief flooded over me. And I thought, this is right. This is good. That's been said to me more than once, which is interesting. Um, and, and so I think What's I've not been trained that way, but you and I both are academics. We're both PhDs yes. in composition mm-hmm. and rhetoric. I'm I'm trained in how to read texts, contextualize texts, um, how to break them open and get inside them. And I think that academic perspective absolutely shapes how I approach my my hermeneutics and my exegesis mm-hmm. and my and my preaching. But I also have sort of a troubled relationship with preaching. On one hand, I do feel God's pleasure when I'm doing it. I I feel that I'm using the gifts that he's given me inherently. But on the other hand, preaching is also fraught for me. I think there's imposter syndrome because I I didn't go to seminary, although I do have some Bible education just by way of um, being raised the way I was raised and going to a, a Christian liberal arts university, but also just the way that preaching is situated in today's 
Christian popular culture is, is a little bit difficult for me and troubling for me in terms of the celebrityism around it, yes. the ways in which when you get up to preach, people automatically assume certain things about who you are. There's a separatedness that happens there that's uncomfortable for me. And so, yeah, so that's how I've arrived at ministry and preaching. And, and I wouldn't say I'm in a totally comfortable place right with it right now. <laughs> Is anyone? But, <laughs> but also at the same time, right, recognizing and understanding that it is an incredible privilege to be a woman who's invited to preach. And every time I preach, I get messages from men who say that you did such a great job. That was wonderful. And I don't take that for granted. I, I, yeah. And I tell them that I don't take that for granted. Not everybody understands, not everybody is open to, to me as a, as a woman or open to women preachers. So, yeah. So that's a little bit about my, my journey and my history. And once I started preaching, I did ask myself, Hmm, why did I never go to seminary? Why did that never occur to me as an option <laughs> to study this? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, well, we, it, it sounds is like your whole land life land. has been seminary. My goodness. <laughs> uh, but as you mentioned, though, like you've got this really academic approach to preaching. And I think that is true for both of us, mm-hmm. right? Kristen and I often refer to ourselves as academic twins. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> because are. Because we both come from backgrounds of faith but who were both women who have been deeply steeped in academics. And uh, providentially, we have followed very different, but also very similar paths. And so we both have MFAs in creative nonfiction. Yes. (laughs) And we both have uh, PhDs in rhetoric and composition. That's right. um, Which gives us a very probably different perspective on preaching on the question of women preaching and the church. Mm-hmm. And so all of that comes to bear in our conversations and in how we view the church, how mm-hmm. we view uh, the work that we do and how we view this podcast. And I just want to make that connection really clear for our listeners that that approach to composition and rhetoric, it's such a fancy word, but especially for you and your research, composition and rhetoric is the study of really how we communicate, how we in writing and in speaking. And so Holland's research is specifically in women preachers. She's looking at the rhetorical situatedness of women preachers and speakers throughout time and history. And so that's really what inspired this podcast was the stories and the research you were doing. And even though I'm in Comprat as well, I'm not specifically looking at women preachers. I'm looking at another aspect of communication and writing, but it, but it does absolutely inform how I approach my preaching. When I open the Bible, how I open the Bible, how I try to represent it and communicate it and break it open. So Yeah. So that's how we arrived here. And that's the flavor you are going to get as listeners. We are practitioners. uh, Yes. Holland more so than I. We're (laughs) academics. We're storytellers because we have that creative nonfiction bent to. We're writers, we're communicators. So there's going to be this, this podcast is shaped and formed by storytelling, research, academic and academic sort of flair but also grand, grounded in the, the practical and the particular of what it means to be women who are preachers and in ministry. Yes, yes. 
Okay, listeners, here's what this means. Here's what you can expect from us in this podcast. We will be working very hard to highlight stories from women preachers. We'll be having conversations with women preachers as loosely defined as possible. Sometimes those conversations will be live and in person. We will be interviewing and having conversations with lots of contemporary women preachers. And we'll also be bringing you figures from the past, what we're calling these silhouetted figures like Margaret Fell and many others that we are going to highlight and bring into our conversations with you. So that's what you can expect from us moving forward as you continue to listen to the different episodes of this podcast. And we're hoping that you, the audience, will be um, a wide variety of people who are interested in seeing the church function on all cylinders. This podcast is for you if you believe in the church reaching its full capacity. Uh, I remember a dear friend said to me once, her name is Amanda Hans Jury. She works at the Wesley Seminary at Indiana, Indiana Wesleyan University. And I remember she said to me once that she'd come to believe that the church could only operate on full cylinders if it also embodied and brought in the women, women ministers and preachers. And so if you, man or woman, want to see the church operating at full capacity, then this podcast is for you because it is about educating ourselves, literacy, hearing these stories, knowing about women past and present who are doing this incredible work so that, as Holland said earlier with the story of Margaret Fell, these stories can catch, their messages can catch and we can hold it and it can begin to shape the fabric and the DNA of who we're becoming as the church now and into the future. Yes. Our desire is to see a church that is fully living into its calling. And we believe that that requires both God's sons and daughters to be equipped and embraced. Mm -hmm. And so we invite you with us on this journey. And I just want to close today with a benediction uh, taken from Margaret Fell's famous book, Women Speaking Justified, Proved, and Allowed by the Scriptures. Oh, I want to hear it. Tell us. A a small excerpt from a much larger work. So hear these words from Margaret Fell. And so let this serve to stop that opposing spirit that would limit the power and spirit of the Lord Jesus, whose spirit is poured upon all flesh, both sons and daughters now in his resurrection. And since that the Lord God in the creation, when he made man in his own image, he made them male and female. And since that Christ Jesus, as the apostle saith, was made of a woman and the power of the highest overshadowed her and the Holy Ghost came upon her and the holy thing that was born of her was called the son of God. And when he was upon the earth, he manifested his love and his will, and his mind, both to the woman of Samaria, and Martha, and Mary, her sister, and several others, as hath been showed, and after his resurrection also manifested himself unto them first of all, even before he ascended to the Father. That's right. Amen. That's the truth. Amen. That's the truth. May it be so. May it be so. Silence all the lies about what I lack Find my pride and innocence coming back See the good I had about to level up 
Cause now I finally know that I'm good enough I'll rise higher and higher I'm catching on fire for this episode of Preach Her Stories. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to make sure that you don't miss an episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Preacher Stories. If you would like to support the work of this podcast and elevating women preachers' stories, consider becoming a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com backslash Preacher Stories Podcasts. You'll get access to exclusive content and experiences. This podcast is created and hosted by Holland Pryor and Kristen Wright Taylor. Sound editing and our theme song, Rise, are by Andrea Hamilton. To hear more of Andrea's music, visit hopefulpop.com or search for her on Spotify. Spotify.